uh, up next, Point and Click Radio. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Bob Lawton. And I'm Jim Hyde. This is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show. And uh, we answer your calls and questions about computers and try to talk about the latest and greatest news in computers. And, and sometimes even in sort of quasi-related topics like space telescopes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, we're, uh, we're into astronomy here, too, as well as computers. And you know what? Well, space astronomy is computers. Is computers, <laughs> yes, yes. And you can actually have a, a space, you can have your own planetarium in your pocket with the uh, programs like Night Sky. Those apps are so cool. I know. Well, you, you, you point your phone skyward and you get a diagram of the stars even sometimes if you want to have it overlaid with the, the the constellations and even kind of beautiful illustrations of the illustrations you know orion the hunters all dressed up in cassiopeia right and all that cool stuff all that cool stuff yes. and then the, the, the 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 great the big dipper looks like a big mean bear and all that cool stuff yeah <laughs> and and it's, a, it's a great way to f identify constellations and learn how to um uh, find the the constellations yeah and i remember i think it was last fall sometime i was out on the coast where you can see the the western horizon and um there was something going on was it the conjunction of venus and jupiter or something like that there was some big conjunction um but the amazing thing was, uh, I think I was using Night Sky, and, you know, as you move the phone around, you use a portable device like an iPhone or an Android phone, as you move the phone around, it scans, you know, it, it does the automatic, um, uh, what do you call it when it, you know, the, the, when the phone detects the motion and follows the, uh, alignment with the compass, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and it, you point it up to a point in the sky and it, sh it the phone tells you what you're looking at and names it right. and everything. But the, um, the, the plane of the ecliptic, which is the line that all the planets align to, or all of them except Pluto, you know, Pluto's the, Yes, an outlier. Uh, You're not yeah, really a planet, really. Not anymore. Yes. <laughs> Let's not go there. It got Let's not open that can of worms. It got deplatformed. <laughs> Deplanet de formed. It canceled. <laughs> canceled. Canceled Pluto. Anyway, uh, it traces the plane of the ecliptic below the horizon so you can see oh. what the neighboring planets are. And you can see, like, you know, like if, if Mercury is nearby but you can't see it, the, the app will actually show you where it is. Show you but, where it is if you if you were able to walk to the edge of the flat Earth and step off. <laughs> step off, yes, yes. You can see, <laughs> you can see Mercury down there off the edge. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, but those are really great. Anyway, the um, you you brought up the the James Webb Space Telescope, which uh, what was the what was the total price tag on that? Eight billion or something like that. Ten, a healthy a healthy ten okay. billion dollars, and it was supposed to come at like you know one point five or two billion, and yeah. it was supposed to be ready like 18 years ago and um well you know reality no, i know it's it was one of those things but you know what i heard some um some people involved in that project and these are old nasa hands that go back decades and they said the the thing about something like that is um you have to get the investment up to the point where it's too big to cancel and that's oh, yeah. that's yeah. why you can, I mean you know how would we look to the rest of the world if we spent 8 billion on the space telescope and you're not going to give us the measly 2 more billion we need to actually right. get get it up there but one of the uh, big heartbreaks of science uh, in my opinion of the last maybe 20 years or so 
um, was the cancellation of the superconducting super collider yes. in Texas. That was which one that was, was something like a 37 mile diameter loop that was going to be the most powerful um, super collider on the planet where, you know, we'd have be able to do all kinds of interesting research about superconductors, which are these crazy class of metals that have absolutely no loss that can transmit electricity for, you know, a thousand miles and without losing any, um, without any resistance. Oh, yeah. Which would transform our energy use on this planet and just be incredible. And I think we were about two billion into that. And that ultimately then just got canceled. And I think part of it is actually being used to grow mushrooms now. It's a mushroom farm. Oh, the uh, the former, uh, the site. What's left of the, the part that they finished, yeah. The part know, that they dug out is now an underground mushroom farm. I think I, I read that, yes, and very, very expensive mushrooms. Yes, hopefully they're in there superconducting <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess they have not reached that point of no financial return that, uh, that yeah. the James Webb telescope did. And you know what happened? The Europeans just showed us up and they built the, um, what was it, the Large Hadron Collider or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, at CERN, where the web, World Wide Web was created. Exactly, on, on, a, an, on a next computer. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. By Tim's Berners-Lee. Boy, that's ancient history now, isn't it, when you think it about really it? It really is. It really is. Yeah, I, 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 I hope somebody writes. I, I wish Bill Bryson would write a book on big science projects because he would be the one to do it. You know. Yeah. He's such yeah. A, he's such a good writer uh, on uh, kind of deconstructing things that are that are arcane and then sometimes, uh, in some ways, maybe even just a little boring. You know, they're so so factoid laden that you can kind of glaze over all the stuff that goes on. But uh, you know the space telescopes and the uh, the particle accelerators, where they try to smash atoms into tiny little things, are just ex ex um, extensions of our human senses. You know, that see stuff that we that's too big and too small for us to see, just standing here looking or too up far. or too far. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it, it's interesting because that that seems to be. I think those things are ultimately good because I think that if, if first of all they seem to have a kind of pleasant neutrality to them. So a wide spectrum of people, you know, no matter what people are, are uh, upset about or um, in fear of science, you know, just looking out into space seems to be about as baseline common as for all of humanity political as you can get as, maybe, a hopefully. as a political as you could possibly get of course yeah. i mean you could say well we could be spending this money on on people who are you know starving or or underhoused or or uh, disadvantaged but but we do that anyway you know well and more to the point even 10 billion dollars is a is about what you know, uh, one or two B-2 bombers costs. Yes, yeah, let's look um, at the... You uh, know, it's still an absolute drop in the bucket compared to, you know, the, 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 the money we spend on weapons of death and destruction. So... Oh, um, I know. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I, I, I think my tax dollars, when, when it comes to scientific endeavors like that, um, that expand our knowledge and let us ask crazy fundamental questions like, yeah. how did all this madness begin? Um, I think that's worth spending some money on. I know. I really want to see what they find. Now, do you remember about the, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope? Is it only operate in, in, in the infrared range? Yes. Does it not do visible uh, uh, astronomy? 
Correct. Well, wow. you know, visible is visible, invisible for infrared is invisible to us. But hummingbirds can see in the infrared. That's so, true. Yes. Why don't they just send a bunch of hummingbirds up there? <laughs> That's a long way for a little hummingbird to fly. <laughs> I guess. We could train them and give them uh, pressure suits to get up there. <laughs> and what's blown me away about, about that telescope, too, and I know this is a computer show, but hey, this, this thing is a computer. It is. Um, is so far anyway, and I am knocking on wood, I'm knocking on my forehead right now as hard as I can, so far everything has worked yes perfectly i mean there have been hundreds of different points of failure of this giant tennis court uh, sized sun shield yeah this infinitesimally thin mylar plastic as thin as a human hair five layers of it had to stretch out it all worked all of these different catches and pulleys and levers and releases have all worked um and you can't imagine how many times at people at like the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena and other scientists at NASA went, phew, <laughs> that is probably going to be like the Oxford word of the year. Phew. And, and oh, I think so. Phew. <laughs> yes, there's so much that could have gone wrong. Yes. And again, it's like you said, it's it's not a telescope yet until you start seeing pictures coming back. But right. the fact that everything has worked perfectly so far is 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 amazing and yeah phew. and i guess the reason they need that big sun shield is is not so that the parts don't get sunburned apparently the the sensing devices have to be as close to absolute zero as they possibly can because what they're yeah. trying to do is they're basically trying to pick up faint heat waves infrared from right. outer space and being this close to the sun, the sun would just wipe everything out. So they have to shield the uh, operating instruments from the sun so they can cool down to the ambient temperature of deep space, which is absolute zero. Which is just about absolute zero. Yeah, and when you go to the um, the website, where is web now, um, it shows the temperature on both because they're getting real-time you know, data from, from the telescope, the tele telemetry. And it reads out the temperature, and on the sun side of it, it's always like 160 degrees, 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. And on the cold side, it's like 370, 390. That's like that's that's some impressive insulation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How they did all that is amazing to me. Yeah, and it's it's just it'll lead to more um, more accomplishments just in the technological realm from the things they've had to overcome to be able to do that you know just sure. the just the origami uh technology yeah. they developed to get everything to fold <laughs> exactly. up and go into a rocket ship that's just amazing you yeah know? and they also um with this one they didn't want any hubble telescope like embarrassment so i guess they really really put the engineering into making sure everything worked the first time because like you say yeah. there were so many the points of failure that apparently didn't fail so that that's yeah. really good too truly yeah and you're right it is a computer that's floating up there in space hey and you mentioned that you can check the temperature are they going to have real-time feeds that people can just find online is it does it have like a social side to it can you see well, what's going on up there, there is, in space there's an instagram feed for it yes if you go to instagram and look i, I don't know i'm following it but i forget now what it's called um, but, um, you know, NASA always, because, you know, because we, the people paid for this stuff and we, we, and we own the intellectual property that these things create, there are, um, 
huge web galleries online of, of you know, like photos that have been taken by the, the Hub, Hubble Space Telescope. And there will be the same thing from the, uh, from the James, James Webb Telescope. So, yeah, it'll be possible to go to the uh, James Webb Telescope website, and you can get there from the, from the search engine of your choice. Just type James Webb Space Telescope. Um, and uh, as soon as they start actually getting images in, you can bet that they're going to be up there for, to, to, to explore. Yeah, well, that'll be fun. Yeah, and I just want the other computer angle to all this is that we sitting in our sitting in our easy chairs with our laptops or our, or our tablets or our phones can uh, can take these virtual trips out into space and look at the uh, look at the data that's coming back. That's nice. And that's pretty cool. Does anybody know what the pictures are going to look like when they get them? I mean, uh, if, if it's all infrared, is it going to be infrared photography? Basically, are they going to get images? Oh, there'll be images, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, there will, there will, there will just be images captured by, um, in the in the infrared spectrum. But so yeah, I mean, what they're hoping to see is kind of some of the the births of some of the first galaxies, and you know, way back to near the dawn of the the, the Big Bang. That's why they're looking at infrared because that's heat, and that's why they put the telescope where they did at the at one of the Lagrange points because um, it's far, far away from heat that is coming from other celestial bodies. And that giant shield is protecting it from the heat from the sun. Right. But uh, there would be heat bouncing off Earth, too, if it was too close, I would exactly. imagine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So they they want to be in an absolutely uh, they they really want to chill they just they're, they're, they have to chill so so cool put that telescope on ice yeah to get it yeah <laughs> interesting um, well let's see you mentioned there's some um, Mac news for our Mac uh, yes back friends. down to Earth <laughs> here on Point and Click Radio. Um, there are rumors, you know, there's always rumors uh, around new Apple products, and several times a year, Apple has a, um, a set of announcements where they pull the covers off of some new um, laptops or phones or desktop computers or other gadgets. There are rumors now that there is going to be a new announcement of on some new products on March 8th, just, uh, just a few weeks away. Boy, that's coming right up. Yeah. And, of course, it's always kind of speculation at this point, but um, what people are talking about are some updates to the, um, the MacBook Pro, the entry-level MacBook Pro, maybe the Mac Mini, um, perhaps an M1, uh, a Mac Mini built around the M1 Pro chip, which is the faster, newer version of the Apple Silicon um, CPU chip, um, and maybe a new 13-inch MacBook Pro, maybe a new 24-inch iMac. Um, there's a whole lot of maybes, but um, what is clear is that some of the older machines in Apple's product line that haven't yet been updated to the new Apple Silicon chips um, are due for a, a refresh, due for an update. So, um, 
we will bring you the latest <laughs> what uh, if apple has an invite uh, has an event an event ooh, on yeah. the 8th of march um and we'll uh, we'll tell you what's new um what about the big imac the one that now is a 27 inch size screen uh, any rumors that they might be kicking one of those out not in at least not from what i'm reading in march 8th yeah you know maybe we'll see that at in june there's always some big announcements when Apple holds its Worldwide Developers Conference. And those announcements tend to be around like the, the, the high-end ex yes. expensive stuff, like right. the Mac Pro or the iMac Pro, um, which is possible that we could see the big 27-inch um, iMac updated to the Apple Silicon chips then. Yes. Otherwise, maybe fall. Because Apple also introduces stuff in the kind of September, October time frame and time for the like holiday buying season. That's usually when they introduce new phones. Yeah, fall so, is usually iPhone time, uh, yeah. it seems yeah. like it. And then there, there's usually maybe a few iPads scattered in and things like that. Right. But I'd be interested to see, um, because they uh, came out with that new really expensive Mac Pro, the high-end uh, professional uh, desktop standalone cpu that you have to get a separate monitor and everything um and uh they brought the new version of that out not that long ago it may be it might be two years now i don't know yeah. but it's just kind of a long a long time in that business it's yeah. a long time but it's not a long time in mac pro land where they seem to go for decades sometimes with the yeah. basic basic form and then just you know keep up the updating the chips but these are the ones that have things like 28 cores in them and stuff like that and yeah. they're still selling the model it's based on intel server um xeon chips i think they are um for the processors and they're still very powerful computers but they're not that far ahead of what apple's coming up with with these new apple silicon m1 that's chips. The thing. yeah that's the thing apple can't be calling its high-end computers high end when they're not that much faster than <laughs> the the mac mini with yes. the new apple silicon chips that's what that's how big a difference the apple silicon chips have made in i know performance yeah it'll so we'll have to see it'll be interesting when when that all rolls out but i was amazed that that they came out with that new um was it a 16 inch laptop was that the new one yeah yeah, yeah, that was that was remarkable uh, that they came out with the those two, um, the fourteen and a sixteen inch. They uh, the thirteen seems to be their most popular size. That's what the uh, most popular uh, size MacBook Air, uh, which is probably <laughs> one of the most popular, uh, and I think probably the lowest priced uh, laptop in their line. Uh, and I think all those uh, low end laptops are now switched over to the M one processors, aren't they? Aren't they? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think they're putting any Intel anymore in the laptops, and that's been that way for about a year or so now. Oh, wait, when yeah. did the, yeah, the, the, the um, original, uh, they rolled out originally, I think it was the uh, MacBook Air, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and the Mac Mini. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, it's been over, over a year, hasn't it? It was a year ago, September, I think. So they've yeah. they've been around for a while, yeah. And then the the uh, soon uh, soon followed by the 24 inch iMac, which was a complete. Change. I mean, the 24 inch iMac is uh, you've seen those, haven't you? It's like a giant iPad on a stand. I mean, yeah, it, yeah right, it, yeah, it, yeah. The thing is is so thin; it hardly even looks like a computer. If when you're looking at it from the side, it, it's um, 
it's just an impressive piece of hardware. Well, well there's we'll also see. been rumors of a new, um, an updated iPhone SE. So if we've got listeners out there, and this is the kind of um, inexpensive, lower-priced um, iPhone, um, there is talk of maybe as recently as this March 8th rumored event, um, an updated iPhone SE with a new chip, updated cameras, um, and and that sort of thing. So if you're if you're in the market for an iPhone, um, especially the the entry level, the less expensive version like the iPhone SE, um, wait until after the eighth of March to see um, what might be coming. And um, I have a sense that a lot of those types of products, because they also have a, a, an SE flavor of the Apple Watch, don't they? Don't they have a, a like a? I think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think those are aimed at. Um, your kids, you know, children. You know, when you have a whole family of iPhone users, you don't need to buy them the twelve hundred dollar version of the iPhone. You can, if you can get the three hundred dollar version, then you know, then you just buy them, buy them for everybody, and they, everybody stays in touch uh, about what you know, what time dinner is going to be served, or uh, <laughs> or what we're watching tonight on Netflix, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that'll be interesting. Well, I have a little tip here for anybody who's thinking about buying anything from Apple, and I'm so glad that uh, um, this person that I'm about to mention did this so that I didn't have to or that Jim didn't have to. But um, there's a um, a website that goes way back, and even before websites, it was a newsletter called Tidbits. You know, you know hmm, Tidbits. Sure, of course. Adam Engst, and they've been around been for around for decades, 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 going way back to the dawn of the original Macintosh. Um, anyway, one of their um, one of their writers, Josh Centers, who's been uh, with Tidbits for about ten years got really tired of advising all of his friends and family which Apple products to buy. You know, do I want the big iPad? Do I want the small iPad? Do I want the fast laptop? Do I want the laptop with the touch bar without the touch bar? Do I want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. He finally created a website called applebuyingadvice.com. Ooh, ooh. And he answers all those questions in detail because he reviews the, all the Apple products for the Tidbits newsletter and website. And he's always giving out Apple buying advice to friends and family. And, you know, he just decided to collect it all together. And um, he has some affiliate links. And affiliate links are if you click on a link on somebody's website and it takes you somewhere like to Amazon or some other place that sells things, you know, like Best Buy or something like that. The person who, who um, it's kind of like a finder's fee. Whoever directed you to there gets a tiny little cut. And he has some affiliate links, but he says he's not doing this for the money. He said he wants to pay his, you know, $75 a year domain registration and, the, you know, $150 a year server hosting cost or something like that. So he's not shelling it out of his own pocket. But uh, he says, if you don't want to use my links and just find it on your own, that's fine. But he also gives a lot of uh, advice to get things that that aren't affiliate links. And I looked at the site briefly today when I when I discovered it, and um, it looks really, really good. It's got a good rundown on what the capabilities are, what the use cases are, when you would need to maybe have a bigger laptop or a smaller laptop or a device with a bigger battery or 
um, you know, less expensive or whatever. Or, or in the case of, you know, you want to buy phones for your for your kids or your grandkids, you know, sure. that kind of thing. So Apple buying advice, all one word, no spaces, no hyphens, Apple buying advice.com by Josh Centers. And it's uh, is a great site to just go uh, and look for uh, advice on uh, making purchase decisions if you're interested in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that is a, such a common question. You know, which which Mac should I buy? Or in this case now, you know, Mac or a laptop or an iPad and all of that. So it's a great kind of central place to go to uh, get answers to questions like that. Well, that was uh, actually one of the reasons for starting this radio show. <laughs> That too. People, people I didn't even know would come up to me in the grocery store and say, "Oh, yeah. you know about computers? Blah 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 blah. What should I buy? What should I get?" You know? yeah, totally. I could say, "Hey, call in the radio show, and we'll all learn about it." You know, that's like uh, it. yeah. What else, Jim? Uh, what's well, on uh, everybody's mind these days? We haven't heard much about Facebook and Meta, <laughs> except for. Um, a kind of a funny thing that uh, apparently this last week, um, Mike Mark Zuckerberg sent around a memo saying that um, that that Facebook or I'm sorry, Meta employees should think of themselves as Meta mates, as in like shipmates, except Meta mates, Meta mates. And of course, needless to say, everybody started making fun of that. And, you know, people, uh, for example, who worked at LinkedIn said, well, does that make us inmates? <laughs> inmates? <laughs> LinkedIn inmates, yes. Yeah. yes. But yeah, you know, ever since the stock kind of tanked, uh, what was that, maybe a few weeks ago, after yeah. they announced a whole lot of, a whole lot of, of, of red ink and, and um, disappointing financial results um i haven't heard all that much about um about facebook slash meta slash meta mates slash meta mates yes (laughs) but um but i do have a question for you bob yes jim are you happy with your car's extended warranty (laughs) (laughs) you know i've been getting a lot of calls about that i'm i'm so happy that people are concerned about the well-being true. Of and, my and i'm getting a lot of calls too and you probably maybe you too about um dental coverage mm, haven't gotten those yet oh really i'm getting a lot of them i think you know basically the scammers and spammers of the world seem to think that i have bad teeth and an unreliable car <laughs> wow <laughs> but, but um yeah, you know, we did a piece on uh, Toby Molina of the Point and Click Research Desk, who you may have noticed is off for the evening, yes. did a segment probably six months or so ago at this point about how phone scammers and spammers operate. And she dug down deeply. It was really an interesting look at how they get these millions of phone numbers and how they placed robocalls and then transfer you over to, you know, if, if, if someone is foolish enough to answer and say, yes, I'm interested in improving my car's extended warranty, transferring off to often offshore um, uh, call centers. And it was really interesting. And certainly for me, and I'm sure I'm not alone, um, I'm getting more of these calls all the time, always with fake, supposedly local um, uh, phone numbers. Well, just this month, the Federal Trade Commission filed a complaint against a Florida-based company called American Vehicle Protection Corp. And some other defendants alleging that they built consumers out of more than six million dollars over the last four uh, four years. 
I'm reading here from a Washington Post article. The FTC accuses the company of deceptive marketing practices that include misrepresenting to consumers that it was calling on behalf of a dealer or car manufacturer and offering policies that didn't provide the extensive coverage as promised during calls with consumers. The FTC also claimed uh, the FTC also said that the company violated the law by calling consumers who were on the national do not call registry. So, um, and a, a, a FTC representative said, uh, quote, once you look at the fine print, which, of course, people can't see when they're talking on the phone, <laughs> it is far from a comprehensive warranty. It is far from bumper to bumper coverage. The productions, the protections are quite weak. So um, it's nice to see <laughs> a little bit of. Um, well, not justice yet, but at least some fight back, some pushback hmm. um, from the uh, from the FTC. Yeah, I'm amazed that there's even a name behind all of this. And you know, I looked them up. I, I I went to the search engine of my 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 choice, and I did a search for American Vehicle Protection Corp. And they've got a website. They've got a regular. You know, they've got an 800 number. So hey, you know, I'm not I'm not suggesting that anybody harass them, but it might be interesting to call them and ask if they're if they have any, if their car warranty is up to date. <laughs> yes. And how are your teeth, by the way? Do those employees get calls from their own co-workers? I wonder. (laughs) You know, I I feel sorry for anybody who falls for one of those things, but my my deepest sympathy goes to, to, and there's been more and more reporting on this, about elderly people who have mobile devices like smartphones with all of their bank account information and access and how they get scammed by people who you know these these con artists who convince them you know that the sky is falling and they're they've been hacked and they're somebody's about to clean out their bank account so you better give me this information and and um i'm going to make a deposit in your account and you'll see it come up so you'll know that i'm legitimate you know and i'm going to put this money in so you know that we're trying to protect you and that i just need this information from you and they've done that you know you can the people sit there and see the deposit go in and they go oh well they must be legitimate but guess what that deposit is back out again in seven seconds Exactly, and, and, and some all the rest of interest. your yes, all the rest of your money is gone. And you know, this happened to um, one tech writer's mother, and it was just a heartbreaking story. And it's these people have some kind of mojo where they can just get somebody to believe it. And the woman says, "I better call my husband." And the the, the scam artist says, "Well, you know, he might be in on this. You, you, really, oh. you really shouldn't. You know, he might be trying to clean out your account, and I'm here to protect oh. you from this. Yeah, I mean, really dirty stuff and nasty. I, I really, I want everybody listening to the show to think about anybody you might possibly know that that's that's that could be this vulnerable, and yeah. and and really try to help them. Try to try to make sure that they're aware of this. If there's somebody you know and they get a call, volunteer to, to, to help them, have them call you first, you know, just, well, just say, well, you know, I, I, I appreciate your interest in my security. I have to call my grandson and have him talk to you because he's the one. Right. And, and, and two, you know, I mean, we, and, and actually Toby from the point and click research desk conveyed on a, in a fairly recent show, her own story where she got a legitimate looking text message supposedly from bank of america and 
this led to the, a phone call from somebody and she was, and she is, you know, she's tech savvy and she's fraud savvy. And yeah. she was this close yeah. to starting to, you know, part with some information that would allow them to do some nasty stuff when she's, the pieces started to add up and it was like, yeah, no. So, um, the, the, the takeaway from her segment that she did on the show recently was hang up and call whoever, whatever institution they claim that person is from. Exactly. If someone calls you and says, I'm from Bank of America or Chase Bank or Visa and then starts interrogating you for information, just hang up and call yourself. Make the call yeah. to Bank of America or Visa, the phone number that's printed on the back of your credit card, and say, I just got this call. Is there anything going on? And that's what Toby did. And indeed, they said, yeah, there's nothing going on here. This was this was good for you. You did the right thing. Yeah. So, yes, Bob, your advice is right on the mark. Listeners, if you know someone who's potentially vulnerable, just give them that advice. Just hang up and call the actual organization that the person is claiming to be representing because yeah, this is this is a growing industry these scammers are having a lot of luck it seems and it uh, seems like well like like she said in that scam fall, uh, call it costs next to nothing to make these phone calls so yes. even if the pickup rate is a hundredth of a percent it's still worth their while yeah yeah you got it you got to stay on top of that I think the one I heard about uh, that happened fairly locally was they claimed to be from Norton Security and they wanted to renew yeah. the, your annual subscription because it's running That's out. That's a common one, too. Yeah, yep. yeah. You know, we're we're from the company that protects your computers, uh, but uh, but you're about to lose your protection. So here we have an offer for you. Just give us your credit card number and your, your bank uh, routing information. Don't do it. Nope, nope, don't do it. Hang up. Well, you're tuned to KZYX and Z, Willits, Philo, Willits, and Ukiah. This is Point and Click Radio with Jim and Bob, and we're just talking about a whole bunch of different stuff here. Um, and I wanted to just bring up, we're going to open the phones very soon, but um, DuckDuckGo got a little bit of news coverage this week. It's it's actually popular enough now that people are talking about it. <laughs> And uh, DuckDuckGo was, for a long time, our search engine of choice, and it replaced the long-lamented Scroogle, which was one of the original alternative search engines. Scroogle goes back to the early 2000s, and it was basically a site that you could go to and search and get results from Google through Scroogle. And um, I remember they had quite a funky site. Didn't they have a picture of Ebenezer Scrooge on the, on the background? <laughs> it was, and the idea is that you try to protect your search inquiries so people don't harvest your preferences and choices and interests. And that's one of the things about search engine privacy. And uh, DuckDuckGo was supposed to be an engine that, uh, as far as I know, still protects the privacy of your search inquiries. But it seems to be having it's well, it's getting real popular. So it's it's having the problems that any company or service gets when it gets big. You know, there's all kinds of things they do. They do make money on your searches because they do have very tasteful, limited, and obvious advertising, which which I think is okay. You know, you gotta you gotta pay your food and rent. You know, every month, and if you're gonna do something like that, not everybody can do those free projects forever. Uh, Right. 
but uh, what was the headline in the uh, or the story in the New York Times today? Um, apparently, it's um, becoming a DuckDuckGo is becoming more popular among um, kind of conspiracy theorists because they did um, comparative web searches against um, Google, the same web search on Google and um, DuckDuckGo and Microsoft's Bing, which is actually the foundation of DuckDuckGo. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The um, that was an interesting point in the article. Is like uh, DuckDuckGo didn't like build its own search engine. It it uses the search engine kind of foundation is the best way to the engine. Yeah. Um, of Bing.com, and what they found when they did a search of similar topics is that kind of more controversial. Conspiracy, conspiratorial, less factual, let's call them, websites ranked higher on DuckDuckGo than they did on Google. Hmm. And so that led people who were looking for conspiracy websites said, well, this is just an example of big tech, you know, censoring, you know, the truth. Okay. And so, you know, it dep- I suppose it depends on where you sit on the whole conspiracy fence. One person's conspiracy is, I guess, another person's truth, terrifyingly enough, yeah. sometimes. But um, it almost suggests to me that Google is doing a better job of ranking its search results to weed out obviously false or inflammatory or conspiratorial websites. Now, again, depending on where you fit on that whole spectrum, you may see that as being, well, Google is censoring out the truth. Um, but it's an interesting article. It's, uh, you can find it on, the, on nytimes.com, which, as we mentioned last month, you can get a free access to through the Mendocino County Library. Yes. Five articles a day, I think. Isn't that what yeah. it is? Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. Five articles is enough. They're beefy articles. <laughs> exactly. That's you, keep you busy. You know, I wonder, Jim, when I hear a story like this, I kind of want to look behind the curtain and see why is Duck Duck. I mean, Searchers are going to search, right? Right. <laughs> and whether they go to Google or DuckDuckGo or Bing or a Start Page or whatever, they're going to get results ranked in one order or, or another. And, you know, if I was a conspiracy theory researcher, I wouldn't want Google filtering out my, my queries. Point. You know? Point. Well, and, yeah, and ultimately... And, Maybe the maybe conspiracy uh, people that like conspiracy theories spend must, less money on advertisers, and Google is about you know selling ads <laughs> to people. So who knows? Who knows? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know there's and and again too, um, it's interesting. I suppose is one word that um, indeed a company as powerful and big as Google that operates a search engine as vastly popular as Google has that ability to filter um, and weigh because with their search algorithm, they can go in and fine tune. Okay. You know, these, this is a certain category of website that we don't want to appear as high as uh, in, in this, in the search uh, results. Yeah. Um, 
that gives them a huge amount of power. And so I think ultimately probably the best takeaway maybe for this is for all of us is just as we say it's great to have multiple browsers on your computer and switch between them, it's also great and probably smart to switch between different search engines too. Yeah to just see how the results you may find that something you're looking for or interested in um, is not appearing on one search engine, but it is on another, or it's at least easier to find because it's ranked higher. Yeah. Um, I use, uh, although I go in through DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo has um, what they call, what is it, bang? you use an exclamation point to trigger a code that sends the search to a specific site. Like if you do exclamation point G in the DuckDuckGo search engine, it actually just takes you to Google. It sends your query. That's cool. Yeah. And if you do exclamation point G I, you use DuckDuckGo to initiate a Google image search. And Ooh. and I find that most often if I'm looking for a widget or uh, a whatever, a, a whatchamacallit, I will just search for the image because hmm. they want to sell you things and they want, you know, and people pay to get their search ranked up there. So if I'm looking for an aluminum extension ladder, I'll go to the Google image search through DuckDuckGo and say aluminum extension ladder. And what comes up at the top? Home Depot, Lowe's, blah, blah, blah. And it's so much faster to look at the pictures and and say, yes, that's what I want, than it is to wade through through, uh, paragraphs and paragraphs of text results, you know, looking for model numbers and stuff like that. And that works for almost anything. That makes sense. It really works well that way. But um, so I actually do like Google, especially for image searches, things like that. You know, if you want to find the uh, illustration for an album cover, album cover to put in your iTunes, you know, in your iTunes, you just do Google image and it gets you exactly what you want. You don't have to go to Amazon and go digging around for the the picture to, you know, to to copy and paste in your your, um, track info. You just go to... Um, Google image. But then for other things, I like to use other search engines and uh, or just use DuckDuckGo itself and keep the search in DuckDuckGo. But um, I started wondering, because I'm star- I always try to think, I, you know, based on the experience we had with Scroogle being here and then not being here, I'm always looking ahead to whatever is going to be the, the next most reliable search engine. And I've come up with a couple of of things that look like that may be the way of the future. One is um, a guy who's single-handedly trying to save the internet, starting with search. And this is a site called Kagi.com, K-A-G-I.com. If, if that name is familiar, it used to be a payment company for independent shareware programmers, but they went out of business. And the guy bought the uh, domain name. And if you go to Kagi.com, you can request an invitation to beta test their search engine, which seems to be really, really good. Uh, it has a lot of features that I really like. You can, It has buttons so that you can actually filter your search results to things like images, videos, or even discussion boards. So if you're just looking for some interesting information, 
you don't want to have to wade through Facebook or wade through, you know, lots of other sites, but you want to get to discussions. A lot, a lot of Reddit discussions and stuff like that can, can come up in those types of searches. And a lot of times you can find an answer to a question really quickly that way. So Kagi.com. And there's also, if you uh, want to try out search engines and see what your uh, luck is with them, there's a French company called Quant, and that's spelled K-W-A-N-T, quant.com and they claim that they bundle together searches of 70 different online data sources so it's like oh, wow it's like a huge uh, net that they cast out there to bring in the results and it looked pretty interesting and it also is privacy oriented and then if you want to get really geeky you can actually make your own search engine or find people that have used this software to make their search engines, and it's called, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's the word search, but instead of C-H at the end, it's X. So it's S-E-A-R-X. If you just Google up or DuckDuckGo up S-E-A-R-X, you'll find a, a link to the GitHub uh, programming project uh, for this open source search software um, and I found one site that has uh, used this. It's called search.ninja. I didn't know there was a ninja domain. S-E-A-R-X <laughs> dot N-I-N-J-A will take you to a search engine that's a lot like Google, but it has some interesting features, and it looks like it's uh, really, really fast, which is another thing. Sometimes search engines can be fairly slow. Yeah. So I'll ha I'll have more information on these as I get more experience with them. But for now, I I DuckDuckGo is my number one. But Jim's right. Just like you want to have multiple browsers, you want to have multiple search engines available to do the type of of uh, online yeah. searching yeah. that you do. It, it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we did have some calls coming in, and I want to encourage people to go ahead and start using the phones. Eight nine five two four four eight are the numbers here in the studio and it's a point and click with bob and jim and let's go to the phones hi there you're on the oh, air hi point and click yeah hi you're on the air how are you yeah thanks a lot yeah 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 i use google um image searching a lot uh for the stuff i need for graphics and so on and images but i've for, for many years i felt that i mean you use the term search engine um I think search engines are masquerading as popularity engines because if you look at, you know, the first page of when you do a, a search, you know, what comes on the first page, most people don't get past the first or second page anyway, sure. but, but what's ranked is those, um, the, that content which has had the, the greatest number of clicks. And um, I think in that respect, you know, it's, it's like a popularity engine. And to, often to get what you need, you're going to have to go past at least two, three, four pages. Um, it's just a comment, you know, I, I think, you know, and knowing how those algorithms work to data mine, you know, people's clicks and choices and so on, you know, it's just a money-making scheme. I get that, yeah. There, and there's, I think there's some truth to, the, to their whole popularity engine uh, um, label that you that you give to them. Well, well, caller, I have an answer for you. Uh, there's, a, yeah. I would call this an unpopularity engine. There's a great site. I have forgot about this until you brought that up about the popularity engine. 
There's a web search service called Million Short, M-I-L-L-I-O-N-S-H-O-R-T, just like it sounds, millionshort.com. And this, what's great about this site is it lets you filter out the top 10 or the top 100 or the top 1,000 or the top 100,000 results. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can just slice off those popular responses and, and look at some of the lower down rankings. And you can also just at one click eliminate every result from a domain that ends in .com. So, that's useful. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really, really useful. Serious. Yeah, yeah. You know, because basically, you know, it's a, it's, it's an it's an extraordinarily powerful technology that sure. Google have created, and other other obviously other search engine companies. Um, but I think we need to be no doubt what they're really about. You know. Yeah. Right. And millionshort.com is really cute. It uh, is. Just, and uh, it. if you if you just want to search edu educational sites, you can say. Yeah. Do my search. Now, you can use those kinds of tools in other search engines, but this is just built into the interface, so it's really easy to do it, you know, especially, yeah, great. especially the part where you just knock off the first 10,000 results, you know. Yeah, I'll, def checkbox. I'll definitely check that out. I, I do a lot of EDU as well, so, you know, that, that sort of cuts a lot of the crap out, you know. But um, Absolutely. You know, but, there's, you know, with, with, with modern-day bots and so on, you know, I mean, it's so easy for these search engines to basically to get flooded, you know, first page or two yeah yeah, yeah there, are, anyway. there are even options yeah, that allow you to remove um e-commerce sites so basically you know show me show me uh show me websites about aluminum step ladders but no none no sites that are actually selling them right <laughs> so, right it's really cool right, right. yeah crazy ladder tick crazy crazy ladder tricks.com <laughs> exactly stupid ladder yeah. tricks but this yeah. is really cool really guys and thanks for the com. show and uh yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the earlier stuff you were talking about in terms of the scams, you know, I mean, the agencies are supposed to monitor this stuff, you know, the do not call, they're so d dramatically understaffed, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, the, you know, it's just, again, it's just the, you know, loss of the, the real kind of funding for public protection, I think. But uh, anyway, I'll get off the air and thank you guys. Appreciate hey, it. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Great call. Yeah, yeah, yeah bye. Bye, bye. Yeah, millionshort.com. Bob, thanks for that. That's a great tip. That's really fun. Yeah, I, I like that. I forgot all about that until he said a popularity engine, and I realized I knew about a site, because I haven't used it in a while. I used it a lot when I first learned about it, and, and it was really handy, but I've learned tricks how to more or less get the same kind of results without having to open up a new engine but i think i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna start using that for some things because especially if you're trying to look up uh things where oh i know what i was trying to do have you ever seen a situation where you're looking at text and there's a word that's a possessive and it has an apostrophe and then the s is capitalized the final s is capitalized You've seen oh, that, yeah. haven't you? Sure. I I discovered it's something about uh, text rendering engines. You know the things that computers use to turn what your keystrokes are telling you to put up on the screen. There was some kind of a bug or something because I used to remember when you could download track names from um, what was it CDGB or whatever the computer CDB CDDB the compact disc database. database. Yeah, yeah. I would get all these track names where the possessive forms, you know, like 
Morrison's jig or something like that. It would be apostrophe <laughs> with a capital S at the end. And, you know, I'm a real consistency freak. It would drive me crazy. I'd have to go in and change them all to lowercase s's. <laughs> I tried to find out what caused that because I figured it out at one time and then I forgot. And when I searched for anything that would describe that situation, all I got was things about grammar, like when to use apostrophes hmm. or, you know, what's the right possessive form nothing about that particular programming thing but i think i'm going to try that in million short because that might get me my answer back you know? true true i like it yeah uh we got another call let's go back to the phones cool hi caller you're on the air uh yeah good evening uh gentlemen i had a, a quick one for you about search engines um, yes yes it, it seems like just the last couple of months uh, going to doing searches on Google Chrome, I get not secure uh, result. And these were things that I'd always gone to before. Tonight I brought it up because I went to the James Webb Space Telescope, and it says not secure. If I go over to Firefox, I can go right there. Um, you know, I've checked to make sure I thought I had the uh, latest version of uh, Google Chrome. This is an on, on an older um, MacBook Pro of 2012. Uh, but uh, I, uh, you know, I think I've checked a couple of times on, on the you know the Google Chrome, and it said it was updated. You know, I think those security exception things are a result of older software, uh, either on the operating system or in the browser itself, or possibly even an, a browser extension or something like that. I mean, this reminds me of back in the days when you had cars that required leaded gasoline. Eventually, right, right. you had to stop driving that car or have it converted or something because it just would stop. But with all the um, security vulnerabilities and constant updating and stuff like that, um, I've had that happen on some of my older Macs that I just try to go to a, try to go to a website that I've been to before and it should just work. And it's uh oh no, we can't take you there. What I usually do is just override the uh, the uh, right, the right. block and say yes, yes, I'm willing to live with the re whatever results it is. Just go ahead, stop scaring me, and let me get to the website. <laughs> right, if you if you know it's a safe place or whatever. Right, because yeah. if I go to windy.com or like I say the, the NASA site, you'd think they would have the protocol for you know being a secure site, but yes, indeed, uh, and it's, it's a, just a version that's in my computer and on a more current machine with the current browser, you'd see the little padlock padlock yes. icon up, you know, in the address bar um, at the top of the browser window to show that it is connected via HTTPS. That S is, is important at the at the in the yeah. in the um, in the protocol descriptor. Hey, right. so it's, it's an older machine issue. Um, um, you earlier uh, to follow up, you, you talked about MendocinoLibrary.com to be able to get New York Times articles. Go to MendocinoLibrary.org. Yes. Mendocino Library, yeah, yeah there's a and, huge uh, array. Put in a, a, a card number or something like that in order to... I think you do need to have a library card, yes, to use the yeah, service. I, I had a, a New Yorker uh, niece, I guess she is, uh, that gave us a, uh, a uh, you know password and, and username to be able to do the, the New York Times. And, you know, I put it in, it wouldn't work. I don't know if it, did, it recognized I was a, a foreign uh, entity or something or... Uh, you know, I went back and forth with emails, and it seemed like I was putting the exact right thing. And she said, oh, I was just on it. should work. And but did you say someone who lives in New York? They, they have a, uh, uh, you know, New York Times um, a subscription or whatever, and, and yeah. we're sharing it with friends and stuff like that. 
But my, uh, anyway, I'm just curious. That didn't seem to go through. But yeah, I guess, they, I guess the, the New York Times may have detected that, hey, a lot of people are trying to use this same login yeah, and password. Yeah, so, yeah no. <laughs> yeah, because they can tell from the IP where you're logging in from. And if you're getting simultaneous logins on the same account from 600, right, right. 600 right. miles apart, something's wrong with that. Indeed, indeed. But yes, we did a show last month. I uh, appreciate it. I've, you know, hey. I, I guess it's 10 years old, this machine, and I just, uh, you know, from your other uh, warnings about upgrading and losing you know some features in older versions that you liked that uh, you know the idea of uh, planned obsolescence and you know keep using things as long as you can seems like uh, the way to go yep yeah. thanks for the call well let's do a show about browsers there's been a whole lot of stuff going on with browsers we did search engines tonight or at least we scratched the surface yeah. We searched the surface, but um, there's a lot to talk about browsers, and um, yeah, and we're going to do another uh, segment two weeks from tonight uh, from the point and click research desk on ways to combine ordering online or shopping online, but picking it up locally. Yeah. A great way to combine the convenience of internet shopping with the importance of supporting local businesses. That'll be coming up in two weeks. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.